Well, first of all, uh, congratulations to all the sturdy souls who have come out in the midst of the snowstorm. Thank you. This evening, we are going to be meditating upon a portion of sacred scripture from the 18th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. This is a passage which speaks to us of the way in which we are to live if we are truly be, to be disciples of our Lord Jesus. It speaks of the life of the Christian community. And the very heart of the passage, the center, is based upon the fact that our life must be real. The freedom of the kingdom of God, which is the theme of this year's series of passages, is a freedom that comes from being in touch with the reality of God's mercy and providence and the reality of our own frailty and our own sin. We must first recognize that. As the Lord says at the beginning of his ministry and John the Baptist did at the beginning of his, repent for the kingdom of God is near at hand. We experience the freedom of the kingdom of God when we repent, when we recognize our frailty and we ask God's mercy for it. It is an illusion that we are trapped and we are enslaved. When we are under the illusion that we are without sin or that sin does not exist, or that sin exists only in other people, but not in us, just as much as there is illusion if we do not recognize the mercy of God. And so repentance and mercy, like concave and convex, are inseparable from one another. They both express the reality of life. And as the old saying goes, based upon, I guess, baseball, reality bats last. It always has the last word. And uh, it's good for us to recognize that. So in the 18th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, our Lord speaks to what reality is in a community of frail, sinful, and fallen disciples. It's the kind of thing we see at the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles, where we have the golden age of the church, you might think, of all those beautiful things, of the first burst of glory after Pentecost. And yet in that very church, we have lying, cheating, stealing, betrayal, a typical day in the life of the Catholic Church. There we are. We're all very frail. No wonder the Lord gave us the sacrament of reconciliation. And there is a slight hint of that, at least in the reading today. The Lord frees us from our sins. And so at the center of chapter 18 is the need sometimes to go and speak to someone who has hurt us, to be honest, to speak to them, to bring it forward. This is something that's based a little bit on the Old Testament in chapter 19 of Leviticus, chapter 19, 18 is the most famous passage of Leviticus, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But chapter 19, 17 says, we must be willing not to hold a grudge within us because that just simply sours our life, but get out, speak to the person who has offended us, reason with them, do so honestly and openly. And then the next verse is, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason with your neighbor, lest you bear sin because of him. 
You shall not take vengeance or bear any grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So this evening, as we look at chapter 18, we see that very center, the heart of it all, is that need to be honest and open, bring things out into the light. But that, and that can sometimes lead, as it says here, to, I guess what we call excommunication, to a penalty which is meant to heal. But that is surrounded by an emphasis upon God's mercy. We see before it a reference to the Lord going out to care for the one sheep that is lost, leaving the 99 to go for the one who is lost. And it's followed by a passage we'll pray this evening about the need to be merciful, to recognize there's a vast amount that we owe the Lord, that we must not be so demanding of other people. And with that as a context, we have a very clear statement of our need to face the reality of sin. And so let us now enter into this time of divine reading of the Holy Gospel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Let us get rid of all those cares and concerns that weigh us down, that we may be open to the Spirit of God that we may have that silence in our hearts that allows us to hear the Lord God. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. We ask God's mercy for all of those sins that weigh us down, that we see so clearly in others, but which we do not recognize in ourselves those sins which are barriers, rocks and boulders that block the pathway to our hearts and block the entry of the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I 
in the midst of them. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began the reckoning, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But that same servant, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. And then his Lord summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord delivered him to the jailers till he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his faults between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So true, we need to encourage in public and perhaps if necessary, challenge in private. If your brother sins against you, here we have a situation that we all face in different ways where we may feel that we have been harmed, that we have been wronged. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. The alternative in the book of Leviticus that this reflects a little bit is that if my brother sins against me, I just stew over it in my heart. And that's not helpful. We can go on like that for years how often the acid pool of anger gets more and more concentrated and bitter within us. We need to be able to come and bring this out into the light. And yet every time we do that, there's a great temptation to become very ferocious and demanding towards a person who may have hurt us. When we challenge someone, we can take delight in doing it. We can say, I just want to help you. Have you noticed? I'm praying for you. That's the worst sign. I'm praying for you. This can be used like a club. I don't think that's really what we want. 
So we, we have to be very honest. That's why we need to have this very important but potentially dangerous piece of advice, sort of like electricity that should be encased in a proper covering, surrounded by with a reference just before the passage that we're reading to the gentleness of the Lord going out for the lost sheep and after by a reference for the need for us to know our own need for mercy. It's like in some of the writings of St. John Bosco when he talked about the need sometimes to do what this is saying, to challenge, to rebuke one of the young children entrusted to his care. He said, be sure when you're doing it, you're not just using it as an excuse for your anger. So we need to be in a repentant spirit if we ever come to that point where we feel there is a need to rebuke someone for what they have done wrong. We should only do that very carefully and be very conscious of our own sinfulness because it can easily be a way of pushing our, other, our neighbor down so that we can exalt ourselves, but it may need to be done. And sometimes if you're in a position like mine where you're the responsible, the spiritual father of the whole community, you sometimes need to do it. In the same way, a parent may need to do it with a child, a member of the family. A person given responsibility may need to do it, or we may need to do this with one another. Better get it out than to have it seethe within us. So if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Let's not start broadcasting this. Our sins and our faults are more numerous than the stars in the sky. And really, sometimes it's better to be a little considerate about this. It always is. Don't be telling other people about the faults of our neighbor. There's a great little, we know from this a writer who has lived with St. Augustine, how he, he had a, over his table or on his table a little sign let the one who criticizes an absent brother leave this table. And once some people did, he said, get out of here, go away. So rather than doing what we usually do, which is speak of the faults of our neighbor to everyone else except our neighbor, let's do it to the person if it needs to be done. And maybe if we see the face of our neighbor, we will be more gentle than if we simply talk to other people about our absent neighbor. Because when that face is not before us, we can be rather harsh. That's why, of course, computer stuff is so deadly. It's amazing the ferociousness you get in the calm boxes of blogs. Criticizing the neighbor, not to his face, but rather in general, generically, and therefore ferociously. So if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. It's not if he listens to you, you proved he was wrong. Or if, you listen, if he listens to you, you've gained a triumph over him. No, if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. You now have a, a friend more deeply, if you do it the right way with a spirit of repentance, realizing the next parable that's coming up about the fact that we all have need for God's mercy and we shouldn't be so harsh towards our neighbor.
But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Sometimes that's helpful to have a few people there maybe, just again, very privately, especially maybe a couple of people who are respected by our neighbor. They may realize that's a little bit stronger, but it may help to bring things out in a helpful way. This is always difficult to do though, because once we are challenged, our shields go up. That's why when King David sinned, the prophet simply told a story. Because when we hear a story, we're not, we don't feel so immediately challenged. And we can say, ah, yes, that person who stole that lamb, ah, yes, that's wrong because it doesn't affect me. And then we hear the prophetic zinger, you are the man. Oh, oh. and we have a recognition of truth before we have the time to shield ourselves because we're all very defensive. We, we all are, it's part of the human condition. So maybe it's good to have some friends come along as well. This is wise advice the Lord gives us. Let's think about that in our lives. Are there situations in my life where I'm holding a grudge? Where I'm saying to others what I will not say to my neighbor? Are there situations in my life where I am stewing away when perhaps it might be possible with a lot of prayer to bring it to the surface and have it gone? Are there ways perhaps in which some wise friend could help me to go and bring that situation to the surface in a gentle and fruitful way so it doesn't cause harm to me because I'm stewing over it it may be cause harm to my neighbor because he may not realize that he has offended me. We need to bring this out. So let's ask the Lord for help in seeing that in our own lives and ask God's forgiveness if we've been stewing away in bitterness. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is very severe. And it may sometimes be needed. It's basically excommunication. But it should only be the last resort, and never as a punishment. The sanctions of the church, things like this, like excommunication, are never used simply to vent or to punish someone, but as a little extra pressure to help the person come back, 
to come home. That's always what they say. The, the last words of the code of canon law is this wonderful phrase. It says, the supreme law of the church is the salvation of souls. And that's good to remember. But there may come a time within a community where it's necessary to go beyond one-to-one -one rebuke and maybe even a few friends. There may be some situations where it's necessary. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. But this is, you might say, what we call the nuclear option. It's something to be used very carefully. And always for the salvation and for the protection of the whole community. St. Paul talks about some situations like this as well. For the protection of the community and for the good of the soul of the person. I remember once hearing someone talk about how to be a bishop. Because bishops are mainly responsible for this kind of thing. And he said, do not use your great authority 99% of the time. 99% of the time, do not use authority or power. But do not fail to use it 1% of the time. The difficulty, of course, which caused for a lot of prayer, it's why I'm so glad that everyone's praying for both the bishop and the pope at every mass, is to know which is which, because we're all very frail. So there is a place for this severe punishment, not as a punishment itself, but to bring a person back and for the good of the whole church. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. One on one Christianity, it just isn't there in the gospel. It's just me and Jesus. It's not there at all. We are a community. We are a family. We are the church. We are the band of disciples. It is a community where two or three are gathered in my name, in the name of the Lord Jesus. We bend our knee before the Lord. It is the Lord. The name always, of course, represents the very person. That's why we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's why we say in the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, holy, let your name be. Let us hold your name. You, in other words, holy. Wherever we are gathered in the name of Jesus, there he is in the midst of us. Even two or three disciples gather together. And so although each one of us does some things alone, one-on-one, -on -one, heart to heart with the Lord, that is part of our life. But it always is in the context of the community of faith, which is based ultimately upon the very life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are a community not just for organizational reasons, though that may be helpful from time to time, but because we are to model the blessed Trinity on earth. I say to you, if two 
of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Our life is to be a symphony, not a solo. And in the context of the symphony of our Christian love and the harmony that must be there, which is distorted by sin, in that way, we are what God calls us to be. That's why we go to confession to a priest. Because the priest or the bishop is the one who celebrates the Holy Eucharist, the sacrament of communion. And when we break communion, even with sins we think are secret, which we cling to on our own, and all sin in a sense is egoism, when we do that, we have ruptured communion. And that's why we receive or brought back into the communion of love by the sacrament of reconciliation celebrated by the one who celebrates the Holy Eucharist. The Eucharist and the sacrament of reconciliation are intimately linked. So this loner Christianity is something we must always be afraid of and be aware of and to say that's not, we are always not in a sense of being part of a community in which we are just a cog in a machine. It's not that at all. We are loving members of a family which has a unity beyond any one of us and which draws us out of our own egoism. And that's why you bring even hard things to the community. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Let's just ask the Lord to help us now to have that deeper sense that our adoration and our service of our Lord Jesus Christ, which must be personal and deep and inwardly, profoundly lived, let us pray now that it will always be in the context of our life as members of the church, which we entered at baptism, as part of the family, the body of Christ, as part of that community, which is a reflection on earth of the blessed Trinity. And then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often Shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Some translations have, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, which is correct. Nobody knows really. They can read it both ways in the Greek and the reflexibility, the earlier stuff in the Hebrew. But it doesn't matter, does it really? Because Peter is trying to say, well, we really should forgive a lot. Some early writings would say, maybe forgive someone three times. Three is a pretty big number. But Peter wants to go beyond that. He says, should I forgive them seven times? Seven is a number of perfection. I could go on to a whole talk on the apocalypse here. Seven, seven, you know. 
But it's, you know, the seven days of the week, the fulfillment of, you know, the, it's a natural number of perfection, fullness. The seven cities of the apocalypse, the seven seals. Six is, it's not that, six is failure to read seven. Of course, the worst thing is infinite, six, 666. But I'm getting away from the Gospel of Matthew. But seven, 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 seven is what we should forgive someone. Infinitely, always, totally. We should not measure out forgiveness with a tiny little teaspoon. There are huge vats of forgiveness. It's like the, the wedding feast of Cana, where the Lord doesn't just get them a couple of bottles of wine, but he just has a, a, you know, a tsunami of wine overflowing this whole thing. It's, God doesn't give us little, cheap little things. God is magnificent. I always think one of the nicest, nicest titles is in, in uh, Italian history was the Lorenzo Medici. He was known as Lorenzo il Magnifico. You know, magnificent, just not cheap, not constricted, not narrow, not measuring things out. That's why, is it 77 or seven times, is it 490? Or is it 77, eight, or what is it? Well, we shouldn't be counting things like that. There's an abundance of the mercy of God, and we're soon to see what that means in the parable. And so this is the way we should live, not in a narrow and constricted way. And I think sometimes uh, when our Holy Father speaks of rigidity and things like that, I think he may be thinking of this particular fault. Um, and so we need to, to just be generous of spirit. And why should we be generous of spirit? Well, not because we're unaware of the reality of sin. We've just seen a lot about that, the need to rebuke and confront and bring reality out. No, but because we're more aware of the reality of our own sinfulness and of the abundant mercy of God. And so, therefore, this is why we're so merciful. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. That's what the king does at the end of time. A little bit later, it's the sheep and the goats. There is a settling of accounts. And which is it, judgment or mercy? The answer is yes. There is accountability and reality, but there's also mercy. The two are inextricably joined, again, like concave or convex, like different facets of the one diamond. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. This is why, as we look at stewardship, the way in which we make fruitful use of the time that is given to us, it's always in the context of the parable of the talents, the other famous time where the word talent is used as in this parable. We're given our life, we're given time, huge amounts of it, and we must make good use of it. And when he began the reckoning, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. 
There's some that say that this is an exaggeration, that in the text they changed it from 10,000 denarii. A denarius was a day's wage. And later on, we see the other servant owes this servant 100 days wages. So 10,000 days wages is big, but it's imaginable. But here we actually hear 10,000 talents. The writer Josephus in his book about these days says that the whole revenue of Judea in one year in taxes was 600 talents. This is the 10,000 talents is inconceivably huge. It's vast, it's billions and billions, it's just immense. So it's a message here. What we owe the Lord is infinitely, what we're forgiven by the Lord is infinitely greater. And what we owe the Lord is infinitely greater than any of the piddling little ways in which we are so harsh towards our neighbor. So he owed him 10,000 talents, like huge, like the national debt or something like that. And as he could not pay, the Lord ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. That is the strict way of enforcing the law. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Well, that's impossible. You can't, no human being, not even a nation, would pay 10,000 talents, and the master knows it. I will pay you everything. What a weak and false claim on God's mercy and the mercy of the great master here. We can't pay back. It just, we just can't do it. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Everything. Could you imagine the relief? Having this immense debt just crushing and suddenly it's gone. Let's thank the Lord for his mercy in our lives. Let's think of all the times that we have turned against him and our neighbor and have been deserving of rebuke and he forgives it all. 10,000 talents of it. Even that he forgives. He just lets us go. Lifts the burden, sets us free. But that same servant, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Of course, you can pay back a hundred denarii. That would take a bit of work, but it can be done. You can't pay back 10,000 talents. Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison 
till he should pay the debt. Oh, how blind we are. How clearly we see the hundred denarii of the sins of someone else, what others owe to us, and how we soon we forget the 10,000 talents that we have been forgiven. How blind, how harsh. Seizes him by the throat. Even the king didn't do that in the, earlier. Pay what you owe. And his servant who with some time could pay it back, says, I will pay you. And he could with a little time, but he refused. So he really, it wasn't just, like he could have gotten the hundred denarii back. The servant, the other one, could have worked and paid him back eventually. It's a reasonable debt. But he doesn't even give him a chance to do that. It's not getting the money back that he's thinking about. He's venting because he's got this fellow servant in a bind of owing him. How often we try to get other people to owe us and use that to control them. It's not so much greed as in so many things, it's control, it's the ego. That's the heart of all sin, pride, control. From Adam and Eve in the garden, they wanted to control everything, to know good and evil, everything. Pay what you owe, have patience, I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison till he should pay the debt. Let's ask God's mercy for the times and we have been so harsh towards people who have offended us, perhaps, but also, let's look deeper. Just like when we go to confession, I always figure when I go to confession, I always try to you know, look at the branches and twigs and look at the roots. The roots, what I always use for my examination of conscience are pride, anger, envy, greed, laziness, lust, gluttony, especially pride, that's the first of them. And those show up in branches and twigs of actual events and actions, which go back to those roots. So what is the root of why he is so harsh? It's not that he's lost 100 denarii, it's because he wants to control this other person and vaunt himself as being in power. Let's ask God's mercy when we've had such attitudes. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. That's usually the way it happens. We can't get away with things. Remember Moses killed the Egyptian, thought no one had seen him, and then challenged, when you killed the Egyptian, we think we get away with things, but we don't. And then his Lord summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord delivered him to the jailers till he should pay all his debt. Well, that can't be done. So he's 
punished totally. And so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And so even in this passage where it talks about the need for rebuke, sometimes even excommunication, even these sharp things, these confrontational things, it always must be in a spirit of awareness of the infinite mercy of God. That's the norm. That's the thing that surrounds us. And that's why too, maybe when we make our daily examination of conscience, let's spend about 48 seconds in ruthless honesty about the sins we have committed that day and a couple of minutes in thanking God for his mercy. That's about the right, sort of like, I don't know, like fertilizer, you know, you have different proportions. So maybe a, a, a certain amount of ruthless honesty, unless we become then the rest, the mercy that puts it in the proper context. What does this passage say to our head, our heart, and our hands? As we hear these words, our head to know about the Lord, for reason guides us. Our heart, for how to love. Our hand, how should we act in practice? As we hear these words. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began the reckoning, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But that same servant, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. 
So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison till he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. And then his Lord summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord delivered him to the jailers till he should pay all his debt. And so also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.